it's certainly my privilege to be here again, and I got to tell you how much I have appreciated being here and, and appreciated seeing many of you again, uh, that we had a chance to spend time together when I was here as interim, and uh, to have that reconnection again is very special. And uh, I want to say that I deeply love this church. This is a great church, and I hope you know that. We've got great staff, Scott and Jerry, and also uh, I love the intergenerational nature of this church. I mean, you've got everything from infants to Q-tips, you know, and, um, and it's so special. And, and there's so many churches today, especially in our denomination, that are pretty much all Q-tips. And uh, so it's, uh, it's really important and, and exciting to see the intergenerational nature of this church. It's been a joy to be here these Sundays, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And, you know, one of the things that I'm I think about being here again is, is the chance to renew relationships. Relationships are crucial. And you know, when I began uh, kind of my time after retirement, I had no idea some of the relationships that I would have a chance to form. I mean, with you here when I was here, but when I was in San Antonio, I'll never forget leaving a lunch with a man, and I'm not this isn't to say to impress, it's, it's, it's to show you how ridiculous it was. A man who uh, had been the CEO of AT&T and, and was the acting CEO of General Motors, and he said several times, Jim, you and I are doing the same thing. And I thought, oh, I don't think so. You know, it didn't seem quite right. And then the last place that I was for a, a long period of time, for 21 months, was in Morristown, New Jersey, right across the river, from Philadelphia, and uh, there was a, a really neat couple there. They were a little bit older than us, and yet we had so much fun with them, Harry and Lucy. Harry had invented the barcode, and also Harry had 470 patents, only second to Thomas Edison. And Lucy, Lucy could have been an opera singer, but instead she became a doctor and was a pediatric forensic pathologist at CHOP Hospital, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, for 50 years. I remember one time they said, will you come over and watch The Passion of Christ with us on Good Friday? And uh, we said, sure. We thought it'd be the Mel Gibson thing, so I tried to prepare Alice because she didn't want to see it because she knew it was gruesome. And so we got there, and come to find out, it was Box Passion of Christ three hours of German with the Berlin Orchestra and the Berlin Opera, and we enjoyed it. Uh, it was very special, but we knew the story, even though we didn't know the language. Now, but probably the most impactful person in the relationship that we built of all was a man named Steve Treziak. Steve Treziak was uh, a young doctor and also a, um, and he was an intensivist. He was the head of in the intensive care unit in Camden, New Jersey at Cooper Hospital, a, a great trauma center there. And uh, Steve uh, was an elder, and we became friends. We had, we celebrated Easter with his family. And uh, Steve and I also started a small group for men. We met on, uh, on uh, Sunday nights. And one night, I remember we were on his patio, and he says, guys, I've got a confession to make. He said, I want you to know that I am a research nerd. 
We said, okay. And he said, and I got to tell you what I'm researching now. I'm looking at the subject of what I call compassionomics. Compassionomics, what was that? And he went on to tell us about it. And since that time, he's had a TED Talk at the University of Pennsylvania as well as other places. CNN has interviewed his co-author, and he's had articles in the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Washington Post. And I challenge you to read the book, Compassionomics, The Scientific Evidence That Caring Makes a Difference. And his whole thesis was this. He was talking about the medical community, but it really is true for all of us. He says, you know, far too often doctors say, I don't have time to be compassionate. I've got to go, especially with managed care and insurances today, I have to go from one to the other to the other. And, 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 and they make me, uh, make me go fast and, and faster than I would like to. But he said, it only takes, and here's his thesis, 42 seconds to show compassion. And he goes on to explain all of that in detail in his book. When I think of that idea of compassion, who do you think the most compassionate person who ever walked this earth was? I believe it was Jesus, no question about it, hands down. Last week we talked about the fact that if we are going to do what Jesus did, there must be compassion in all that we do. We must demonstrate his compassion if he was the world's most compassionate person. I'm going to read in just a moment Matthew 9, 35 through 38, a short passage. But again, it's important to know the context. Last week we looked at chapter 4 as we looked at the three major uh, ministries of Jesus, the three major actions of Jesus, but directly following that is the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto for the kingdom, and then directly following that in chapters 8 and 9, the first part of 9, we find Jesus doing on-the-job training for his disciples. He's showing them what it's like to preach, to teach, and to heal. And then directly following the passage that we have here, he sends his disciples out. They're to follow what he has just done. They're to do what Jesus did. And so as I read that passage, please understand where it fits in the scheme of things. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. May God add his blessing, understanding, and most especially his application upon this, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Please join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, it's good to worship here today. It's good to be together. It's good to be sharing with those who, who are online today. And I pray that as we spend these moments together that your spirit might speak to us. If we leave here today and we feel as, we, as if we have not heard a word from you, we're going to be disappointed. 
Lord, may the Holy Spirit be the go-between. Speak to the people and the preacher alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I want us to start by asking, what is compassion? Let's attempt first to define it. And before drilling deeply into the passage, let's start with the word we just read in, in, that, in Matthew's Gospel. In verse 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Greek word for compassion here is the strongest word in the language for pity. A person moved to the very depths of one's being. In the New Testament, the word is only found in the three Gospels, and then it's only Jesus that's, that the word speaks about. Jesus is deeply moved by the plight of the sick, the blind, the psychotic. He is deeply moved by the world's sorrow. Jesus is deeply moved by the world's hunger. Jesus is deeply moved by the world's lonely, like the, the leper who was literally untouchable. In our passage this morning, Jesus is deeply moved by the lostness and the bewilderment of the crowds of people who have streamed to him looking for something more, looking for wholeness, looking for second chances in life. As we think of that definition, what in the world helps us to be moved to the depths of our beings? Just consider that for a moment. What is there in your life that causes you to be moved the very depths of your being? And what about us as a church? What moves us? Well, I can't speak for you. I'm afraid that I've become calloused. I've become hardened to the plight of many. Think of the numbers of times a day in the different technologies that we experience that we see people suffering, and we see it so often that I'm afraid we've become hardened. We've become callous. Oh, only eight people died in that accident. That's not so bad. And then we move on to something else. We observe suffering several times a day. As those who claim to be followers of Jesus, are we deeply moved by this plight of many, by their human conditions, by the situations? If not, why not? I want to go a bit deeper in definition as we look at the book by Steve Treziak and his co-author Anthony Mazzarelli, aforementioned in Compassionomics. Here's what he says in the introduction. Compassion is defined as the emotional response to another's pain or suffering involving an authentic desire to help. The etymology comes from a Latin word, first pate and then cum, which together means to suffer with, to suffer with. Last week I mentioned that my, what I would call my African daughter, who's now a psychiatrist in Boston, when I said to her, why are you becoming a psychiatrist anyway, thinking there, there surely would be a better uh, way to be a doctor, and she said, I want to sit with people in their suffering. That's the idea here. And to go a step further in this definition, they say that compassion is not synonymous with empathy, which is the feeling and understanding component, because compassion involves action. 
feeling is a necessary precursor or prerequisite to motivate acts of compassion. So the terms are related, yet they are distinct. So we might put it this way if we want to make an equation, a simple one. Empathy plus action equals compassion. Now with that understanding, let's drill down a little bit deeper into this passage. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. In four brief verses, we get a glimpse into DWJD and what it should look like. In verse 35, there are those three basic actions of Jesus' ministry that we talked about last week. And just as a quick review, it's Jesus preached with passion, proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He was calling them to repent. He reached out to connect with their wills as he shared the possibility of a relationship with God, how they could be forgiven, how they could have second chances, how God could rule in their lives. He taught with authority, informing their minds so that they could grow deeply into that faith and that relationship with God. And then Jesus healed with compassion, healing all their infirmities, we are told, diseases and dysfunctions, which was like his calling card to draw people into that relationship with God. Next, we see that these actions were carried out with compassion. It must be the same for us. It must be if we are going to do what Jesus did. Now, there are two common images here that I, that I really like and that the people of his day understood. These images are, first, he looked at the people, and as he saw them, he said, they're like a, a, a bunch of sheep who are lost and forlorn without a shepherd. If you went to Israel today, and some of you I know are going to be going to next, next February to Israel with Jerry, um, you know, I, you'll still see sheep and you'll still see shepherds on the hillsides. It's, it's like it was thousands of years ago. How many of you have ever spent much time with sheep? Anyone? That's usually the case. Very few of us have. Well, if you know anything about sheep, sheep are known for nibbling themselves into lostness. In other words, they nibble from one tuft of grass and then another one without raising their heads and another one and another one, and pretty soon they're lost. Sound familiar? Don't we sometimes do the same thing? And he's talking about the people of the day doing the same thing. Maybe they never thought they would get there where they are, but little by little, in a very subtle way, they nibble themselves into lostness. And maybe there's someone out here today who's like that. Maybe you feel lost. You feel forlorn. You're looking for something more in life. Oh, Jesus awaits you with open arms and calls you compassionately to come home. The other common illustration he uses is one of harvest. And he says there's a bumper crop out there. That's what we used to call it where I grew up in southwestern Michigan where we had apples, peaches, plums, and cherries. And I think especially of apples. Uh, it was a year-long process to produce apples. I mean, in the wintertime, there would be men out there and sometimes up with snow up to their waist and going up in the trees and trimming the trees. And then in the, as soon as the, the, the snow melted, we were putting fertilizer around the trees. And then we were spraying the trees and, and for all kinds of things. And then came the harvest. 
And I got to tell you, there's nothing more disheartening than to know you've worked all year long for the harvest and there's no one to pick the apples. And I remember seeing that several times where now they have machines that pick them, they shake them, and, and, and that works. But, but I'll tell you, uh, when Jesus used that image, it was a graphic image for the people of that day too. There's a great harvest. All these people, and I, I, I picture it as people coming from the hillsides and from all over coming to be healed, coming to hear Jesus speak. And he's saying, look at the crowds that are coming. They're like sheep needing a shepherd. For Jesus' compassion was a great deal of empathy, plus the actions of his ministries, each time meeting all kinds of people where they were. And interestingly enough, Jesus was in great contrast to the religious leaders of the day. Biblical commentator William Barclay says, the Jewish leaders who should have given their people strength to live were bewildering them with subtle arguments about the law, which had no help and no comfort for them. Jesus spent time out where the people were, compassionately caring for them, telling them about God. He was demonstrating for them as well as telling them what ministry should be like for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, who should be doing what Jesus did, compassion should be a part and is a part if we look deeply enough of our spiritual DNA. A world today is experiencing a crisis of compassion. Just for a moment, consider the divisions and the polarizations that exist. Couple that with the fact that we've been so wrapped up in our everyday lives that far too often we are oblivious, much less empathetic to those who are near and far with all kinds of needs. As I look back on my ministry, I must admit that there were so many times that I was doing what, Je that I was uh, serving Jesus, that I was doing what I was supposed to do as a minister of Christ, as a follower of Christ, that I forgot to DWJD, that I didn't have time to do what Jesus did with compassion. If we don't feel empathy, then for certain we won't take action, which is a very important part of compassion. Treziak and Mazzarelli did quite a bit of research here, and they found that the University of, in a University of Michigan study with 13,000 undergraduate students showed that empathetic concern for others declined sharply from 1979 to 2009, and in fact, he said, has been picking up in speed. And they go on to say, lest we dismiss this as the selfishness of youth or the isolationist attitude of a generation, actually grown-ups here may be default. And this is one that hits me between the eyes. A Harvard study with 10,000 U.S. middle and high school students surveyed from 33 different schools about, asked about what they believed their parents valued the most. They found that nearly two-thirds of them feel, the youth, the youth feel, their parents do not value caring for others as much as they value achievements and accolades. 
In a recent Pew Foundation Research Center study, they discovered that fully one-third of Americans do not consider compassion for others to be a part of their core values. Unless we point the finger at those people out there who are like that, at the culture out there, listen to words of another, from another British scholar, Michael Green, as he talks about us as church people. And please note, as I mention these, as I read what he had to say, this happened on my watch. You know, I've been a pastor now for, been working in Presbyterian churches for over 50 years. And this happened on my watch, so I'm feeling guilty here. Green is writing about the church in contrast to Jesus' compassion the pas- in, from the passage that we looked at this morning. He says, alas, the church is very unlike Jesus. We do not care. We do not go out in mission. Maybe we're too empty. Maybe we're too respectable. Maybe we're too similar to those who do not profess to know Christ. It would be embarrassing to approach them. We are, in all probability, too ignorant of the good news to share it naturally. We are terrified of what people might think. We are too insulated in our Christian ghetto. We are too apathetic. We do not share the compassion of Jesus. The Gospels repeatedly tell us when Jesus saw, he had compassion. Perhaps we do not even look, let alone care. Compassion means looking outside of ourselves and our little piece of Christianity and feeling empathy for the world outside of this comfortable place and then taking action. A mantra of my daughter's church where she served for several years was living missionally. In other words, living your life day by day as if it matters to care for people beyond the walls of the church. It means DWJD, compassion, in preaching, teaching, and healing. As we think of where DWJD, compassion, and where it could lead us, some of you may be thinking, and this is something that I've heard time and time again through the years as a pastor, if we start doing things like that, then uh, we just can't afford it. I mean, with the uncertainty of finances during this time when the pandemic is just coming to an end, we just don't have the finances to go, to go and do it. It's, it's not cheap to keep up these buildings in tip-top shape and our church running on all cylinders. We've got to take care of ourselves first. In more than 50 years in the Presbyterian church, this is the most common reason that I've heard. Or maybe we've always done it like that, or we've never done it like that. This can be especially true for a church that has a wonderful tradition like yours. I mean, your church was looked at by people from around the country as being one of the most successful church plants of any time in in the denomination. It was wonderful. And yet, we can't rest on our past laurels. I remember going to the Church of Alice's Childhood in upstate New York. And when we got in the door almost and maybe they knew I was a minister and I was alive when I don't know, but, but they, the first thing they did was showed me a history of the church. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that I knew that one of the first postmaster generals had worshiped there. <laughs> that was supposed to be really special, and I was thinking, if that's what it is, a museum church, <laughs> that's not what it's all about. Do we treasure and worship the past 
and it becomes more important than reaching out to a struggling, hurting world. Sometimes we say, we don't have the space or we don't have the staff to do more than we're presently doing. We can be risk-adverse, allowing our present to determine our future. I would bet that you would agree with me that God is not limited by space and the size of one's staff. Furthermore, it is God's church and always has been. So it mean God, means God wants to use us where we are, where we live day by day, not just within these hallowed halls. Oh, dear friends, if we are to continue the mission and the ministry of Jesus in our world with all its polarity, division, and chaos, we must DWJD, do what Jesus did with compassion. Well, like I said last week, uh, this is just about over, and you're going to say, wow, he's been haranguing up there, and, and uh, now what are we going to do about it? And that's the question. So what? So what? What difference does it make as to our lives as individuals or the life of our church or our community or our world? In response, in response to so what, let me first affirm you as a congregation. Again, as I said at the beginning, I think you're a great church. And I, I, I love seeing some of the things you're doing. I love the fact that you're going to be building um, a building that's going to be primarily as a food pantry for all of Boone County. That's a fantastic thing. And I, all the mission partners that you have. So I, I don't mean to diminish any of that. And many of you as individuals are giving your time and resources in compassion. And I deeply appreciate that. When I think of individuals giving their time and compassion. I think of a friend of mine in the first church I served. He was my best friend. He'd been a football coach, which I liked immediately. And then he became a businessman. He was very active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He and I were in that together. And I remember it was during that time that we brought over Vietnamese refugees. And it went so well that we decided we'll try another resettlement. And we, we tried to resettle 13 it was a three different families, a kind of a nuclear family of Cambodians, and that was much more difficult since the, the language which was much more difficult for us. And I remember that whenever I would try to work with them, I was a miserable failure. In fact, Alice would know if I was trying to talk to one of them uh, down the hall because I would be talking more clearly and loudly, and they were kind of wincing, you know. And so, um, but Bob, my friend was fantastic. I mean, he took them shopping. He took them to the movies. He taught them how to drive. Can you imagine that? Not knowing the language and not having two dual uh, controls and teaching them how to drive? I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And so, and, and I, thought, I, I thought, boy, he's great at that, and I'm so lousy at that, until I finally took a gift workshop. And when I took a gift workshop, I got really low in cross-cultural communications. So the first time I saw Bob after that, I went up to Bob and said, Bob, guess what? I don't have the gift of cross-cultural communication. He said, I've noticed. <laughs> and then he went on to say as he looked up with me, at me with sad eyes, and neither do I. He was doing it out of compassion because he realized the need was there, and he was going to reach out to meet that need. With all that said, I believe that we need a compassion revolution. 
to, to counter the compassion crisis of our world. What would that look like at ZPC? What is ZPC known for? Is it known for its food pantry? Known for the great banquet? Noah's Ark? Known for the beautiful buildings here at the corner of 116th Street and Michigan Road? What is it known for? I remember when I was at Southport, I had a primary care physician, and she, her whole family were longtime, very staunch Catholics, and I'd gone to her for several, several times, actually for several years, and she said, you're a pastor, where are you a pastor? And I said, Southport Presbyterian Church, and she said, where's that? Her office was right across the street from the church. And then she went on to say, oh, you're that church that has all those ministries to children. My grandkids love to go there and love what you're doing. And from then on, she really warmed up. Another way of asking is, if you weren't here, what would your community miss? If you weren't here on this corner, what would your community miss? For just a moment, dream what it would look like if your church was known primarily, along with all other kinds of maybe good things, for having a Christ-like compassion. Like Jesus, we would be known first for accepting people where they are, listening to them without judging them, caring for them in all of their needs. DWJD, doing what Jesus did. And again, dream with me of what it would look like if you were known as a person who had Christ-like compassion. And dream what how much better you, this community would be if ZPC were known as a people dr as they drive by as a church where compassion seems to be the most significant part of our identity. When I was at Southport Presbyterian Church, I remember a woman calling the church and saying, my husband is dying, could you move, could someone move the furniture out of our living room? Now, she had, hadn't come to church, he had come regularly, but she had a disability where she had to be on canes and, or, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, and didn't get around very easily, so she didn't come at all. And, and so there was a small group that moved her furni the, the furniture in the living room out to their garage so they could put a hospital bed there. He wanted to die at home. And then uh, he died at home after just a couple of days, and then she called again and said, could someone take, come and put our furniture back? They're picking up the hospital bed, and after the funeral, we're going to have a lot of people over. So those people, so that group went and did the same thing, put the, put the furniture back in. And she, shortly after that, came to the church and became a member of the church. And she said, I want to be a part of church, a church who moves furniture for dying people. Compassion. That's what we should be known for. Oh, dear, dear friends, deep down within each one of us, as a part of our spiritual DNA and being created in the image of God is compassion. Our world desperately needs you and me, ZPC, to exhibit a Christ-like compassion. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we're grateful for the example of Jesus. And as so often the case, uh, he makes us realize how far short we fall. 
And as usually the case, we see that there's so much we have to learn from him. No longer, no matter how long we've been on this journey of faith. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be people who are known for compassion. And not because we're the ones who are receiving the benefit of that or receiving the accolades of that. But so that people come to know you. And people find you to be their Savior and Lord in all the days and all the situations of their lives. Oh God, help us to be compassionate. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.